let's get into the word this morning. If you would turn with me, let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. I, uh, I've been chewing on this passage and just praying this morning, where do we start? Because there's a number of places we could start this morning. Uh, but I want to pick up where we left off last week. We've been looking at this passage out of 2 Kings chapter 4, where the widow woman comes to the prophet Elisha uh, because her husband has died and she's now in debt. And the, the debt collector's coming and he's going to scoop up her kids and uh, collect her children as payment for the debt. And so we're going to look at that. We're in the middle of a series right now. Some of you are saying, you're still in that series, Pastor? Yes, we are. It, uh, we gotta connect, i got to connect the dots for you here. We are still in a series on the Holy Spirit, and uh, that's led us to this. And I want to kind of tie in what we've been talking about throughout this series on the Holy Spirit. I want to tie it in with this passage and some things I feel like the Lord is saying to us right now. And so uh, we're going to need the Spirit of God to do that. So let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you this morning for your presence I thank you for all that you've done thus far. Lord, we thank you for the fellowship we had last night. And Lord, I, I thank you for the worship this morning. And now, Lord, we come before you and we ask, speak to our hearts. Instruct us. Lord, I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, to hang over the atmosphere of this environment, Lord. I ask that your teaching would fall like rain that you would awaken our hearts, instruct us. And Lord, I ask that you'd frame out the future with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and read through this passage again. It's 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as a slave. And as we talked about it last week, we understand that this woman, what, her husband was a peer of Elisha, and they both studied under Elijah the prophet. And so they were in the greatest school of supernatural ministry in existence in their generation. Elijah was running it. They witnessed firsthand the miracles of Elijah, had been instructed at his feet, and so now Elijah, Elijah has gone to be with the Lord and Elisha has received the mantle and now this woman who was married to a prophet is now, her husband has died. And so she's left with his debt, the indebtedness that he left behind. And now the debt collector is coming and he's going to take her children to pay for the debt. He would, he would indenture them into servitude for seven years and then they would, that, in that way she would pay off her debt. So Elisha replies to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said. And then as an afterthought, she says, except a small jar of oil. Verse 3, Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. And then go inside, shut the doors behind you, you and your sons. Pour out oil into all the jars as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her sons, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. I want you to catch something. He's telling her, he said, go monetize your miracle. 
This was a for-profit prophet. He said, I want you to monetize your miracle. The Lord began to speak to me about this miracle and the monetization of miracles. And it offended me, to be honest. I was, I was a little taken aback. I had an argument with the Lord. I would recommend, do not follow my example. Don't argue with the Lord. But it was, it was somewhat offensive to me. I remember years ago, uh, a friend of mine in their ministry began to have some enduring worship. Gems began to appear. And that was a phenomenon that was happening in a number of places at that time. And, and uh, we were talking about it. He, was talking, he said he still had some of those gems. And, and one, a guy pulled out this big old red gem. I mean, this thing was a big honker. And uh, he pulls it out, and someone piped up and said, I'd sell that and pay my debts off. And I remember, I, I, didn't, I don't think I said anything, but in my heart, I thought, I, I should rebuke them. You know, you can't sell that. And I, I was offended that they would try to monetize this miracle, as if the most valuable thing about it is just sit around and show people. But in fact, this lady was told to monetize her miracle. There is an undeniable financial component to this story. In fact, the financial component is the primary message. All our secondary, you know, allegorical applications, which I've been, and they're valid. I'm not canceling out my sermon from last week. That is a valid application, what we were talking about last week. But what I was talking about last week is actually the secondary meaning it's an allegorical meaning behind this passage, but the primary, the literal meaning, was that God performed a miracle that this woman could then monetize to get herself out of debt. God wants to partner with you financially. Now, when I said that, some of you just tuned me out. Oh, here comes a preacher talking about money. The scripture talks a lot about money. And God wants to supernaturally enable you to create wealth. Because poverty is a taskmaster. Poverty will grind you and bind you. It'll cause you to lay awake at night and worry about things you shouldn't have to worry about. God wants to prosper you financially. Someone asked me the other day, and I'd been studying this passage and uh, they, they didn't know it, but they said, Pastor, what do you think about the prosperity gospel? And they started talking to me about diff different things about it. And, and uh, this is what I told them. Interestingly enough, that morning I had heard a preacher that I very much respect, very much, uh, this guy is a tremendous man of God, brilliant revival dude, uh, speaks like seven languages, uh, tremendous touch of God in his life. And I heard him talking about this very subject that morning. But I was a little bit grieved when I heard him talking. Because whereas some of the prosperity preaching I've heard, some of it, catch that, is an aberration or it's, it's, they've taken it too far, this guy, in my estimation, took it too far to the other end of the pendulum. Because when they were asking, this guy was talking about what, you know, the purpose of finance, and he, he was saying, God wants to bless you. But he kept saying, but it's only for the, the propagation of the gospel. Now, some of you say, well, what's wrong with that, Pastor? I think there's a problem with that mentality. Now, let's pause there and go to the other end. Because there's some people that pr preach prosperity as an end in itself. And there is a problem with that mentality. 
You see, a prosperity gospel that says that God wants to make you wealthy just so that you can be wealthy inevitably makes God a means to your end. But the guy on the other end of the pendulum was actually making us a means to God's end. And then you say, well, pastor, are we not here? We're created for his glory. Are we not a means to his end? There is a sense in which, yes, we were all created for his purposes, and so we are to fulfill his end. And it's only in glorifying him that a man is, or a woman is fulfilled. That is true. But the fact is there is a relational component to our, our interaction with God, our, our relationship with God. We are sons and daughters, and God doesn't merely look at us as a means to an end. I don't look at my children. They are my future. When I'm long gone, Dave Olson and Kathy Olson are still going to be walking the earth in the form of my kids, my grandkids, and my great-great-great-great-grandkids, if Jesus tarries. They're not merely a means to my end, however. We have a relationship. I love them. And I want the best for them, not so that they can represent me well alone. I want that. I really do. Guard, my, guard the family name, guys. But I also want them to be blessed because I love them. And God wants to bless you because he doesn't want you laying awake at night with ulcers. God wants to bless you so you can be a blessing. There is, there is a blessing in the relationship that God is after. And so either, either end of these pendulums can go to an extreme. I don't know if I'm making sense this morning, but I hope you get what I'm saying, that God is not a means to our end, but neither are you a means to God's end. God's end. We have a relationship and we matter to each other. And God sometimes wants to bless you just so he can bless you. See, it's the same thing some people will say about miracles. Well, the only reason for miracles was the validation of the gospel. Well, what do you do with Jesus healing people and then tell them not to tell anybody? If the only reason for the miracle was to validate his message, then they had to disobey him to fill his purpose in the miracle. Jesus heals people because he cares about people. And he meets their financial needs because he cares about those people. And all of that does flow towards the end zone that, hey, we should all come to the heart of this loving father that is so good. It's part of the gospel. But we're not just a means to God's end. We are sons and daughters. I don't know if you felt it this morning when Armando got up here and started preaching the Lion King, but when he said, remember who you are, man, there was authority on his voice. I'm like, oh, oh. I told some we could go home right now. That was good preaching. We are in loving relationship with a father. And there is a financial component to the gospel because all of life has an application uh, you know, the gospel of the kingdom applies to all of life, okay? So there is a financial component to the gospel. And I don't know about you, but I struggled when the Lord spoke that to me about monetizing the miracle. But the fact is, God does want to partner with you in your finances. Do you know that? And I, I probably said it last week, if there was anybody in all of Scripture that was worthy of a benevolence check scratched out by the church office, it was this woman. Her husband had been a man of God. She said to the prophet, you know my husband was devoted to the Lord. You know he loved the Lord. He was in the school of the prophets. He was a man who lived for the Lord, but what he left behind was debt, and when she came to ask for help, the prophet 
outrageously asked, what do you have in your house? What do you mean, what do I have in my house? I'm coming to you for some help. The little I have, I need to keep. But he was saying that you need to bring something to the table in this, this miracle. God wants us to bring something to the table. The way of the kingdom is that God has already put something in you that is the answer to your own need. There's something that you already have that is the answer to your need. Now, you need to, you need to wed that to the move of God. You need to wed that to the anointing. You need to wed that to God's miraculous power. But the fact is, it's not just God's power alone. And it's not just the oil on your shelf alone. It's a, it's a, a partnership between heaven and earth. But God has put something in you. Now, what, what does all this have to do with our, our series? We were, a, a number of weeks back, we began to talk about the four expressions of the Spirit of God or the four expressions of uh, the manifestations of the, of, of the move of God in the believer's life. The first one is the wells of salvation. The allegory is out of Isaiah, the wells of salvation. That's where we receive the indwelling Spirit. He comes to live in us. So it's the well of salvation. We drink from it. But John chapter 7, Jesus builds on that. And he said, if any man is thirsty, let him come and drink. And out of his belly shall flow a river. And he was speaking, John says, of the spirit that had not yet been given to them. So whereas Isaiah speaks of the wells of salvation, the indwelling Christ, John chapter 7 and Jesus is talking about the baptism of the spirit where the drink becomes a river that can feed others. So we have the indwelling and the overflowing or the, the, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the spirit that flows from us. So the wells, the river, and then we have this picture that we so love around here of the outpouring of the spirit. This, this other allegory of water in, of, in connection with the spirit, the outpouring of the spirit of God. But an outpouring is actually a corporate infilling. It's like a corporate baptism or a corporate out, out, uh, uh, outpouring on our lives. And then you have the last one, which I would propose to you seems as if it is the least exciting, but is the ultimate expression of the Spirit of God on planet Earth, and that is the dew of Hermon. And that's where... Psalm 133, it says how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell in unity together. It is as if the oil poured on Aaron's beard would flow to the edges of his garment or the hem of his garment. It is as if the dew of Mount Hermon would flow upon Mount Zion. And in that phrase, he pulls out this idea, another expression of water, this dew of Hermon, and it's an atmospheric thing. It's not dependent upon outpourings. There is, it's charged in the atmosphere, and the atmospheric conditions cause the dew to begin to appear. What is heavy in the air, the air is so heavy with moisture, the humidity, the dew point is so heavy that what is unseen can no longer remain unseen, but get, begins to appear in the seen realm in the form of dew. And I shared a couple weeks ago, the, when the Lord first began to deal with me about this was back in not, 2010, 
uh, the Lord spoke to me. I, I went into a vision out in the, the lobby out here, and I saw this, this dome over Heartland, and I saw this golden oil, and I was so excited. It was the glory of God, and I thought, oh, this is awesome. And the Lord said, and the dew of Hermon will be released. And I was excited by what I saw, but I was frankly disappointed by what I heard. So much so, I went into the bathroom that was right there, and I leaned. I don't know why I did it this way. I leaned and looked in the mirror and said, do? Wrinkled my nose and said, do? Lord, why do? And the Lord said, it is my non-disruptive way of nourishing the land. And then he reminded me that outpourings were made necessary by the fall. Before sin entered the earth, the, the, the ground was watered by hidden caverns that released a mist. And it was a non-disruptive way. It was called paradise. And I would propose to you that what God is bringing us to is not so much crying out for the outpouring, but to break us. Outpourings are to bring us into that tenderized hearts where I honor the reservoir of the anointing that's within you. You honor the reservoir of the anointing in me. I refuse to stumble over what you aren't while I enjoy what you are. I refuse to forfeit what you are by stumbling over what you aren't. And we begin to walk in unity. And in that, in that way, we begin to live in this atmosphere that is not disruptive. It becomes the, the way of life that brings us back to the garden in paradise. I was just reading this morning, and it says in Genesis chapter 2. Matter of fact, let's, let's look there this morning. Genesis chapter 2. Listen to this here, verse 5. Or verse 4, this is a recount of what he's already talked about in, in uh, chapter 1. He did a quick overview, a cursory overview in chapter 1, and now chapter 2 he's going in more in depth. Verse 4 he says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Now he doesn't talk a lot about what happened with the heavens. But make no mistake about it, the heavens and the earth were created simultaneously. We tend to think that the heavens were older than the earth and predated the earth, but Scripture is very clear that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They were created simultaneously because their destinies are intimately connected. God never intended for them to be separated. And in the fall, there was a severing of heaven and earth, and redemption is not just about getting you connected to heaven. It's literally getting heaven and earth back in sync together. And you and I are the agents through which this should happen. So this is the account of heaven and earth and when, when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and heavens. Now look at verse 5. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now the reason I read it in such a weird emphasized way is I have it color coded this way. Now, for, and, but, and then. Now, in the beginning... Shrubs had not come. God had already created them. They were in the ground in seed form. They were already waiting to spring forth, but none had appeared. Why? Because the, for the Lord God had not yet done two things. Sent rain, and there was no one to work the ground. 
There were two missing elements. There was no water and there was no men and women. And so there was a partnership, the earth giving forth what God intended. The destiny of planet earth awaited two things, outpourings of water and human cooperation. I'm telling you that any time God moves, those are the two elements. We see it way back in the beginning of time. The answer to your need lies in what God has already put in your house and you wedding that to the move of God, to the spirit of God and cooperating with him. There is a partnership that God wants to perform in your life. Now I want to pause there. I want to go back a little bit because a couple weeks ago we were talking about the need to get beyond wilderness thinking and begin to live in promised land thinking. In wilderness thinking, there was always just enough, but they were living by miracles every day. And miracles are great. I love miracles. And there's always going to be a need for miracles until we have it all, and we won't have it all until Jesus returns. And even then, there may be a process to this thing. I'm not so sure. But the fact is, God doesn't want us to live by miracles. He wants us to live in the promised land. You see, in the wilderness, they would get up every morning, take their little bucket out, and fill it with this supernatural manna. But the manna had no seeds. There was no, there was no opportunity for them to partner with that and sow it and to create an abundance. It was just enough. And matter of fact, if they tried to save up enough for the next day, other than on Friday night, it would mold in the bucket. They couldn't preserve it. There was no room for growth. It was living by miracles. And there are seasons in our life where God will transition us from one thing into another. And that transition period is wilderness. And God will carry you like a child. And those are awesome, wonderful times. But he never expects you to live there. What he wants to bring you into is a more mature expression where you partner with him in cultivating what's already in the ground or what's already in your house, in this case, in 2 Kings. What is in your house? What is the oil that you have? I'm telling you, there, there are people in this room that you have things in your life. You're crying out for breakthrough and for answers, and God's asking you what's already in your house. There are business ideas inside of you. There are skill sets already inside of you that can meet your need, and you don't even know it. I went to a, a thing the family leader put on on Friday, and one of the speakers, I didn't get to hear the very first part of it, but one of the speakers was the guy with my pillow, Mike Lind of my pillow. He was a hoot. Oh, my goodness. You ought to heard this guy's story. And I don't know that he realized that not everybody in that room was charismatic and Pentecostal because he was talking about, I got this prophetic word and this guy prophesied over me and it was a God thing. And, you know, he, he, he had this encounter with God. He said, I hadn't really surrendered my life to the Lord. He was a cocaine addict. He had this encounter with the Lord. He met some guy that had, had met the Lord that he used to party with and he called the guy and he said, I have one question. Is it boring? He said, no, it's not boring. He said, okay, I'm in. And uh, he's, the guy prayed for him. He said, I felt the addiction come off of me. And he said, I had this grand idea. I'm going to make these pillows. So he said, I got in front of this shark tank-like thing. There was the CEO, a CFO, a CIO, and a bunch of C's. And he said, I told him, they, they told me, before you go in, don't mention you were a cocaine addict. said, first thing out of my mouth, I used to be a cocaine addict, but now I got this idea for a pillow. And I'm going to be a millionaire, and I'm going to have a platform, and I'm going to minister all, I'm going to fund things all over the world. And they said, what? One of them said, when did you stop doing cocaine? He said, last Thursday. 
He said most of them got up and walked out. They're like, Shark Tank, I'm out, you know. He said, but one of them started pressing him and asking him questions. Long story short, he made these cheesy advertisements. They tried to do it the way the, the people told me to do it. He said he was just stiff, and they said, you're the worst. Can't, you need to get an actor to play a party. He said, I can't do that. He said, just give me a table, and I'll show how the pillars are made. It was a cheesy advertisement. All the people that were analyzing said, this is not going to work. But within a matter of weeks, he was making millions and millions of dollars. Weeks. He went from five employees to 500 in like six weeks. Pretty soon he had $100 million in revenue coming through. It was crazy. He was a cocaine addict that had the seeds of greatness in him. A great idea. You think, well, what, what's the big deal about a pillow? Well, if you don't have a good pillow, you know. And you know what? This guy, he's, he's out funding the kingdom. That movie, Unplanned. Yeah, he's in it. They called him and said, we want you in our movie. He said, he said well, I'll have to pray about it. He said, I just did. Okay. Yeah. And uh, he said, D are you short on money? They said, yeah, we're still a million dollars. He wired them a million dollars like that. The guy's funding things in the kingdom. But I'm talking, he was raw. <laughs> just barely saved. But there were seeds of greatness already inside of him. And I would propose to you, I'm not saying that there's a million dollar idea in everyone, but I am telling you there are seeds of greatness within every one of us. And as this widow woman came to the prophet, she was dealing with the disappointment of having been married to a prophet who was now dead. I need to make a confession just as a, as a side issue real quick. As a pastor, as a teacher, as a preacher... A lot of times, it's not until after you preach something that you really get it and you want to then preach. That's why I used to love when we had three services over in the last building, the other building. Man, by the third time, I was really ready to preach it, you know. And this one, I only get to do it once. But it just struck me, that passage, and it just kept digging in my heart on Sunday afternoon about those of us in the stream of Christianity that we run in the people we rub shoulders with. We are of the prophetic stream, of the revival stream. And prophecy is a wonderful thing. It is a God thing. It's the only gift that shows up in all three categories of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. The Father gives us prophecy as a gift, the Son gives us prophets as a gift, and the Spirit gives us prophecy as a gift. We are to be a prophetic people. And prophecy is an amazing thing because it, get, it allows you to reach, it's like insider trading. You know what's coming and you can invest in the future and you can pull it into the present and that, that you derive joy. You, it strengthens you in, the, in the, the nasty now and now because you see the future by and by. And you can live off of that joy and press through hard things. But prophecy can also breed tremendous disillusion and disappointment. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You've received prophetic words, and it's like, man, those things just never came about. It was last Sunday morning during worship, and I know I read most of this last Sunday, but I want to read this again, because I want to tie all this together. The Lord spoke this to me during worship, and I just wrote it down as he said it. Disappointment is the emotional debt we pay for unrealized dreams. For the investments made into unfulfilled expectations, 
It accrues over a long period of time, and then the debt collector comes calling. Expectation allows us to make withdrawals on the future and enjoy it before it arrives. But hope deferred makes the heart sick. Disappointment comes when we have invested energy in dreaming of something that doesn't arrive. When we overextend our hearts, our expectations, then we must pay with disappointment. When we dream and plan and are investing emotional energy in the future, when this investment fails to materialize, we are left with an emotional deficit. Our heart is in the red. This happens when we have spent yesterday's energy on tomorrow's dreams and are now left today with insufficient emotional reserves to cover today's needs. And a lot of us in this stream have found ourselves in that place where we've made big dreams. In, in times of outpouring, it's like a bull market. Man, it seems like this thing's never going to end, and you start making big investments, taking big risks, because in those seasons, man, it really pays off. God does good things. And like a bull market, it seems like it'll last forever until it doesn't. But here's the thing. Fortunes are made in downturns. You know that? That is true financially, and that is true spiritually. There is a reason that finances in Scripture are used as an allegory of the spiritual realm so often. Because the principles are the same. They're principles of stewardship. Principles of delayed gratification in order to multiply the investment and so forth. All of these principles. That's why Jesus said, I believe it's in Luke 9, that if you are not faithful with unrighteous mammon, money, then who will, who will trust you with the true riches? In other words, your money is a proving ground for the things of the Spirit. It's like the, the entrance exam. It's like the, the kindergarten of the things of the Spirit. If you can learn to handle money well, then you qualify to handle the things of the Spirit. That's why this thing of money is so crucial for us to talk about and understand. There's some of you that are longing for greater authority, greater reach in the spirit. And I'm telling you, it lies in your pocketbook. That if you will begin to be faithful in your finances and obey God's dictates and follow his leading in finances, you can actually, you can actually give yourself into a breakthrough. Now, I'm not being manipulative. I'm not saying, hey, if you write out a check for Heartland, I get, I'm, not talking about, I'm not even talking about Heartland right now. I'm talking about you being faithful before the Lord with your money. That there are times that you can literally give yourself into a breakthrough. Just ask Cornelius. His, it says that his giving to the poor, his prayers, an unsaved man. He wasn't coming in Jesus' name. But his giving to the poor says, literally in the Greek, it brought his face before the throne of God. It's like it put his file at the top and got God's attention. So much so that it garnered an angelic visitation that came to him. That's an amazing thing. Why? His giving gave him a breakthrough. That opened up a whole other people group. I'm telling you, learn to deal with your finances according to kingdom principles. And when everybody else begins to pull out of the market... 
That's when we need to push in. There's principles of finance. Now, I'm not the guy to talk about, to, to understand all that. I'm just telling you, I know that's when fortunes are made. That the wealthy are investing when everyone else is pulling out because things, they're going to they're gonna buy low and sell high. But I'm telling you that that is true of the spirit as well. That in the downturns in the kingdom, when there's outpouring, there are, there's great momentum to be seized. But when things die down, it's then is the crucial time in the kingdom. What are you going to do with what you got in the outpouring? Because if you begin to put it to work, remember what we talked about last week, Matthew 25, the master brought his servants to him and he said, okay, I'm going to give you five talents, I'm going to give you three, and I'm going to give you one. And the two wise ones, it says, they immediately put what was given to them to work. And they multiplied in his absence what he gave them in his presence. But the last one who had a wrong view of the master and therefore a wrong view of himself, he said, you are a hard taskmaster who reaps where you do not sow and harvests where you cast no seed. He didn't understand that God really does want to partner with him in what he's doing. He thought he's on his own. This is just a burden placed upon him. It was a a twisted view of the master's intentions. And it caused him to have a twisted view of himself. I'm not able. So I'm just going to bury what was given to me. Those are the times where we need to put to work what God has given to us. Telling you, the Lord, there's two streams and the Lord's wanting to speak to both of them. This morning, there's, there's two emphases in this passage. The primary one, which is a financial one, and then the secondary one, which is a spiritual one. That God is asking you to put what he's given you to work. He's asking you, what is the oil that's on your shelf? What do you have? See, here's how the partnership worked. This was the counsel of the man of God. He said, go into your neighbors and get, ve- I love the King James Version, get your vessels, not a few. That's how we used to sing it when I was a kid. Bring your vessels, not a few. Get the vessels, get every vessel you can. You see, the key was she had to discern the oil that was in her house, but she also had to discern what was empty in the neighborhood that what was in her house could fill. What did she, what was she the solution for? Because her being a solution to someone else's need was the solution to her need. You have a solution. You have gifts. You have things that other people want. There's something that God has placed inside of you that he wants to enter into a partnership with. It's not just the water being released and it's not just a man to till the soil. It took both. The seed was in the ground. There needed to be water released and there needed to be someone to till the soil and that's that partnership between heaven and earth. And God has put something in you of value. I've heard a number of stories lately where God has spoken ideas to people. And they stepped out, and there was a reward for that. Business ideas. You need to realize that God wants you to be successful in what you do. He is not a hard taskmaster that leaves you on your own. He wants you to be successful in what he's called you to do. I can't tell you how many pastors I talk to that when you really press on that, they don't believe that. 
And often it will come in the form of this lie. Well, the Lord wants to keep me humble, you know, because if I was really successful, I'd get prideful. God can deal with your pride. Believe me, I know by experience. The Lord is very good at humbling his children. He'll call you to humble yourself or he'll provide it. And sometimes, now you said, Pastor, that isn't God. Well, I'm just telling you, God's a good father, okay? He is a good father. And when it's done externally, it's called humiliation. But it'll tenderize your heart because God gives grace to the humble. He'll bring you down so he can bring you up. But the path up is always down. You can do it voluntarily or it'll be done for you. <laughs> but God does want you ultimately successful in what he's called you to do. God has placed things inside of you and he longs to express them on the earth. And the first step in this process is believing that. You are not the exception to the divine rule. God doesn't want to keep you small and unsuccessful and not allow what's inside of you to be expressed. He wants to unleash it on planet Earth. He wants to enter into a partnership with you. And it's when she placed a demand upon the oil that it began to flow. There's a lot of us that are asking for more when we've not put a demand on what we already have. And I'm telling you, if you will begin to put a demand on the creativity in you, put a demand on the anointing within you, put a demand on the gifting within you, your abilities, I'm telling you, there is, there is a, this, this is how the kingdom economy works. God intentionally designed an earth, a, 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 a human race, where nobody can do everything. We all have our individual strengths and our individual weaknesses. And like a puzzle, your weaknesses fit with my strengths and my strengths fit with your weaknesses. And we meet each other's needs. And in that way, we fund one another. But if you are bearing your gift, then you aren't the answer to the needs around you. And God wants you to discern your oil. What's on your shelf? The answer to her future breakthrough was the residue of the last one. This oil was still there. It was the, the leftovers from the labors of her dead husband. And she was looking at it with eyes of poverty saying, I have nothing. I have nothing. Now, to her credit, she went to the man of God for counsel. She said, I have not, nothing. And then she remembered, but except for a little bit of oil. And see, he was looking at that with eyes of faith because God is always, God will always meet your need, but it will always demand that you bring something to the table. Come on. Come on. I'm telling you, Matthew 25, what we, that verse that we talked about last week, after he goes through the, the two that multiplied in his absence, the talents, and then the other one who buried the talent, Jesus says this, and this is a principle of the kingdom. It is an eternal principle and that applies in every area of life. He who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But he who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. That is a principle of the kingdom. What he is saying is everybody has something. But if you look at it as though you have nothing and it lies laying in the dirt, never utilized, 
then eventually God will take and he will give the opportunities he created for you. Make no mistake about it. Ephesians 2 is very clear. God has works prepared in advance that you should walk in them. There is a hole in human history that you fit perfectly. And it's made for you. It's waiting for you to step in. But if you won't, eventually God will take what you have and give it to someone else. So what we need to do is we need to ask, God, what is the oil on the shelf in my life? What is it you've put within me that is the answer to what other people need or want? And God really does want to partner with you. He wants to be your business partner. He wants to send a for-profit profit into your life and utilize what he's put within your life. He wants to activate the gifts and callings within you. And it's when things seem to have died down, that's where the millionaires are made. I'm talking, I'm talking physically and spiritually, okay? When things seem to die down, and in revival times we're all enjoying, but when it dies down, you, you wait a few years. You, you, anytime there's a, a, a move of God that comes across the earth, and when things begin to die down, within a few years, ministries, individuals, churches will begin to rise to the forefront. And it's those who began to use the oil that they had. The leftovers from the last move become the key to the next one. They begin to cultivate and they begin to use and they put a demand on the oil and it begins to flow and they will rise to be a force in the earth. Fortunes are made in the downturns. It's not in the wave what you do that's important as much as what you do between the waves because you will qualify or disqualify yourself between waves. The story I told you last week from 2009, 2008, 2009, so I started having all this soul searching and think, God, what did I do? You know, what, what, what happened? Man, it was so great in 2008. What's going on? And I, and I said, you know, back if, if 2009, 2010, 2000, if those things had been happening three, four years earlier, I'd have been pumped. But after we'd hit that, that sweet spot in 08, I thought, man, this is, this is to be the norm. And I didn't realize the cycles in the kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 25, it says, and at the, at the, at the end of the, of the age, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And he's talking about the cycles of the kingdom where he visits, visitation, impartation, isolation, evaluation, and promotion. Those are the cycles in the kingdom, and God always operates like that. He'll operate on the micro scale with you individually, and he'll operate on the macro scale with his church. And when we know his ways and not merely his works, we can cooperate with him, and we can, we can grow in any season because we know what to do in the season. We know the signs of the times, and therefore we know what we should do. But if we don't understand that, we can become disillusioned to begin to bury when it's time to work. We can till when it's time to harvest. And so we need to know those signs of the times. So God wants to instruct us. He wants to open your eyes. And some of you, the way you look at yourself, it's like what Armando said this morning. The change has to happen in us before it'll happen around us. We are the key. We are the linchpin. Your theology 
what you really think of the Father. Is he really for you? Or is he the one opposing you? Your answer to that question will determine the trajectory of your life. Your theology, and the second most important thing about you, is your identity. How do you view you? Can God really use you? I'm telling you, he has made any mistakes. He's got a jar of oil within the shelf of every heart here. There are things that you have that will fill the whole in human history with your name on it. Don't leave it unoccupied. Amen? Let's stand. Man, it's right at noon. That just felt good. Woo! Glory! Man! See, we believe in signs and wonders. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Just raise your hands to the Lord, would you? Hallelujah. I just want to pray for you this morning. And I want you to posture your heart and really begin to ask the Lord right now. The word of the Lord to us this morning is what the prophet said to the widow woman. What do you have in your house? What is in you that other people want? What of value has God put within you that will fill the empty void in other people? It may be a desire they have, it may be a need they have, but I'm telling you, there's something of value God wants to unleash on planet Earth he's already put within you. And rather than, rather than looking for someone to write a check, look, check on the inside, because the answer to your need is already within you in seed form. So Lord, God, we pray for both financial breakthrough and for spiritual breakthrough. Lord, I'm asking, God, that you would open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, for those who have not yet discerned, those who have not yet discovered the oil that on the, is on their shelf, Father, I'm asking, God, that you would begin to open their eyes right now. I want you just to ask the Lord and let him speak to your heart. If he speaks something to you, write it down. And I just felt like, I just saw a picture that there's some of you, you know your oil. You have a jar of oil, but I'm telling you, there's other jars on your shelf that you didn't realize. They're in the back, and God wants to dust them off in this hour. There's more that he has for you. It's those that have been faithful. You've been using your oil, and the Lord's about ready to push a couple more bottles to the forefront. So, Lord, I'm asking, God, that you would show us the business plan of heaven, that we would partner with you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we, we stand before you as those who are fearfully and wonderfully made with tremendous value. But Lord, this value is more than an estimation that we receive, a validation that we receive from you. But it's something you want to unleash on planet Earth in this hour of human history. Lord, I pray that you would activate us. Lord, Lord, lay the pathway before us that we could unleash what's in us, Lord. Father, I ask that you would upgrade the equipping nature of this house. And Lord, I do. I ask for an entrepreneurial wave out of the Midwest. Oh, an entrepreneurial wave, a kingdom entrepreneurial wave. 
Lord, that you would unleash ideas that solve human problems and fund the kingdom at the same time. Hallelujah. We thank you for it. Before we close here, I want to just give you an opportunity. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, or maybe you've walked with the Lord in the past and you've turned your back on him, and you're saying, man, I want to get right with God this morning. Either one of those, I want you just to raise your hand real quick. We're going to pray with you. If you're not right with the Lord and you're saying, I want to get right with God this morning, just raise your hand and make sure I see it. I'll acknowledge it. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right. I'm going to act. Why don't you just come forward? We're going to pray with you. I want to, let's give this gentleman a hand for his, his courage to step out here. John, John, let me, did you intercept him? Amen. Amen. God bless you. He's going to pray with you right here. Get your name. Father, we just thank you this morning, Lord, for all that you've done. Hallelujah. Just put your arms up. Man, I just feel abundance. I feel fruition in the air. Lord, unleash your kingdom. Let it bring forth abundance in every facet of our life, Lord. God, bless us to be a blessing. Lord, that we would become, we would live out of the overflow and pour it out on this region. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.